You're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, which is all about beauty without the BS. If you're interested in how the worlds of beauty and wellness are intertwined, or you're obsessed with daily rituals of skincare and self-care, or you just want to know the latest when it comes to new beauty, this is for you. I'm your host, Sharice Kenyon. Before I introduce this week's guest, I need you to know that we do talk about suicide for a minute or so in this episode, so please be aware. Melissa Gatesy is somebody that I stumbled upon on Instagram. I've been following LA-based aesthetician, LA beautyologist on Instagram for quite some time, and she is the creator of the hashtag 60 Second Rule. The 60 Second Rule is whether you're using a oil cleanser or gel-based cleanser, you lather the product into your face for 60 seconds. So you're really, you know, it's not a 10 second thing. It's you're consistently massaging the product into your face for 60 seconds before you rinse it off. And Nayamka, who is LA Beautyologist, that's her real name. She frequently shares people's stories when they've mentioned the 60 second rule And one day I saw Melissa Gatesy on um, the stories and she was talking about someone living with trigeminal neuralgia. It's a facial pain condition where the trigeminal nerve misfires and causes extreme pain. So in her stories, Melissa had shared how valuable she finds the 60 second rule because Due to her condition, she only does her skincare once a week because it is such, it's a real mission for her. It's its obviously painful because when she touches her face, she feels pain. She shared how important the whole 60 second rule thing was. And it just fascinated me because I think so many of us take our skincare and makeup for granted. It's just what we do twice a day, every day. And Melissa is here saying how important it is to her to do it once a week that gives her that feeling of like wholeness or that she's taken care of herself. So I reached out to Melissa. I wanted to know more about trigeminal neuralgia or TN as we'll often refer to it in this episode. And I just wanted to find out how it's changed her life. I wanted to know why considering she is in so much pain on a daily basis, why does she love still taking part in makeup and skincare. I ask her about her daily routine because as you know, if you're a regular listener, that's something I ask everybody. And unsurprisingly, Melissa's answer was not very typical. I also wanted to find out what it's like for Melissa living with an invisible disability. I think it's very easy to take for granted how somebody, how someone's appearance can give you the assumption or create the assumption that they're fine. And so I really wanted to find out how do you deal with, you know, being told, well, you don't look sick because you'll probably see when I share images of Melissa on the beauty me Instagram feed, she's just a beautiful young girl, but there's clearly so much going on behind it. I don't claim to have all the answers and I might not even have all of my facts correct when it comes to this actual condition. But I just really wanted to share this episode because apparently in the UK, one in 100,000 people deals with this condition every single day. And apparently it's very rare for someone under 40 to have it. And I think Melissa was diagnosed at the age of 27 
If you want to know more about Melissa herself, you can find her on Instagram at Melissa Gatesy, which is spelt G-A-T-E-S-E-E. I'd love to know what you think and do please share this episode with anyone that you think might benefit, anyone that's having a tough time with chronic illness. Let me know what you think. Right, so when I wake up, I immediately wonder how much pain I'm in because usually I wake up and I'm in quite a lot of pain. I feel, some days it really feels like someone's taken a brick in my sleep and just slapped it against my cheek. So I wake up and usually I am in a bit of pain. And this is also due to the fact that a lot of people with trigeminal neuralgia, myself included, lying down is actually a big trigger. So a lot of people end up sleeping on, like, upright. Mm -hmm. I tried to do it. It's really hard. (laughs) I end up just throwing my pillow. Um, So first off, I kind of listen to my body. It sounds corny, but it is really about being present and thinking, okay, what do I need right now? And sometimes I'm not in pain, and that's awesome. And on those mornings, coffee tastes that much better. It's really great because I know I'll have a window of no pain. And that's, yeah, in the mornings, basically. And then as the day progresses, it becomes harder and harder for me to uh, talk. It's painful to talk. It's painful to smile. It's painful to chew. So mornings are really important to me and really quite precious to me in that way because they're the windows when I have the chance of not being in pain. And then if I wake up in pain, it's very likely the whole day will be very difficult. But if I wake up and I'm not in pain, I know I can get some things done in the morning that I want to get done. And at least I can get them done at my desk rather than in bed. Or I can have a conversation with my friends. Or I I do quite a few courses on, like, I I like to do courses online. So I'm able to do that. So I guess, yeah, morning routine really consists of me figuring out what kind of day it might be depending on my pain i think living with a chronic illness it's very much you cannot plan ahead Mm. that much at all Mm. so morning is actually a big indicator for me as to how the day might go it sounds like you have to be so much more in tune with your body i feel like for people that don't have to deal with tn or anything similar you can kind of take it for granted. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. No matter how you feel, you'll ignore things. And um, I wanted to ask you kind of tell me what it was like because, you know, we spoke before this interview and you told me about your life before as an editor and you were looking forward to getting into directing. You're really active and... I just wondered if you would, wouldn't mind telling me what it was like if you go back to that time and then when you kind of discovered that you had TN, if you can kind of Absolutely. take me through it. Absolutely. So I was living in London and my life was very busy, quite hectic, um, both career-wise but also social, social life. I, I had a very busy life, you know, mm. even just living in London and having to get places is very hectic. Yeah. So I went from having this 
um, very busy life to being housebound, essentially. And it happened overnight. It, it happened overnight. I went to sleep one night in one body and essentially woke up the next morning in another body. And the most bizarre part of it was I woke up, it was my 27th birthday. And it's so weird. I, 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 and I'd given myself the day off and I had these plans with most of my friends. And I woke up and I felt tingling in my face. I thought, oh, I have a lot of allergies. So I just thought it's hay fever. And it was when I was, I put my contacts in and it was when I was blending my eyeshadow. <laughs> that I realized I felt I couldn't feel my eyelid. I, I, I felt like I was blending eyeshadow on another eye, yeah. essentially. But it was my birthday, and so naturally I ignored it. <laughs> but <laughs> let me just... <laughs> today's all about me. No, uh, <laughs> I, I ignored it. I ignored it. And as the day go- went on, the, the feeling of numbness progressed throughout my face. And... It got to lunchtime, and I said to my friend, "I can't, I can't feel half of my face." And so we went to the pharmacy, and I said, "I think I'm, I'm having an allergic reaction to mm. something. I, I don't know what. I have, I'm not trying any new skincare, any new makeup." And the pharmacist said, "Look, take this, but if you still feel like this tomorrow, you need to go to the hospital." And eventually, that pain—sorry, it wasn't even pain yet; it was just numbness half of my face and I remember I would film myself mm. trying to see what was going on I'd mm. poke at my face which I'd find out was the worst thing I could do really? but I just I needed proof you know I was like what's going on and I I just wanted someone to tell me they'd gone through that too I I couldn't I couldn't understand the concept of something happening to my body that I didn't recognize mm. it's a very a very difficult uh, strange experience and what eventually started happening is like clockwork around lunchtime that half of my face and at this point um, half of my scalp and half of my neck had gone numb as well half of my face like clockwork lunchtime it felt like someone was holding my face against a hog and every time I even sort of grazed my cheek Mm -hmm. it felt like I had all these needles just millions and millions of needles every time I blinked it was terrifying yeah like how were you like what was going through your head because I know you said you know it's your birthday that first day and you got birthday plans but when did it click to you like like what is going on like I said I ignored it um, that night, I had got I, I got tickets for myself and two of my dear friends to go see a poetry reading um, by Ursa Daly Ward. Okay, and she was amazing, and I'm quite glad that, that was the kind of that's my last. It's kind of the last big event I ever went to mm. before getting sick. So I look at that memory quite fondly because mm. it was a. Even though I couldn't feel my face and I was really scared about what was happening, I'm so mm. glad that I, I went anyway. Mm. I know that sounds, you know. But when it really hit me was when, yeah, when the pain was so bad that I couldn't really open my eye. And I was taking all these painkillers and I think, okay, cool. I'll take some 
painkillers and I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll feel better. Mm. And then every single day it kept coming back and coming back. And I kept thinking, there's no way that this pain is real and that it's going to continue and that nothing touches it. Mm. Like it's, it's unfathomable that this pain exists. I, I cannot tell you how it was very scary. It was very mm. scary <laughs> because I'd never, no one I knew had gone through anything like it. I obviously had no idea what was going on. And yeah, just touching my face was the most excruciating thing. And I would cry and crying would make it hurt more. Mm. So the only way I had any relief, and it still is this way, uh, is when I was asleep. So I started going to sleep as early as I could, Mm. just so I could have some relief and just terrified of the next day because I was like oh I really hope this pain doesn't show up again next day because but tomorrow sorry because this is really scary and mm. I don't know what's going on mm. and finally I called the the non-emergency uh, number you can call and mm. they were amazing and they had no clue what's going on either like most it's a very mysterious disease so the woman I spoke to just said this sounds neurological, you need to go speak to someone now. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And long story short, I had many, many blood tests, uh, multiple MRIs, had a lumbar puncture. I had lots of, lots of tests. And it was, I think it's only natural for us to, I know for Myself, I was really set on getting rid of the pain and fixing fixing it, mm. right? And I kept being told, you know, if you do this, um, it'll go eventually. If you do this, it'll go eventually. Like, you need to rest as much as possible. So I was really convinced that the more I rested, uh, if I listened and I took the medications that were being prescribed to me, mm. I'd get better. But that, unfortunately, isn't the, the case with a disease like mine. And a lot of other chronic chronic diseases, mm. uh, trigeminal neuralgia is uh, rare, but a lot of us have it. I always say that, like too many of us have it. It's rare, it's incurable, and it's degenerative. So mm. it's more likely for for it to become worse than it is mm. for me to get better. And that's not me being. Uh, pessimistic about it it's just the reality uh, of the disease I'm definitely in a place now where I have accepted that it's now part of my daily life I wasn't in that place for a long time mm. I obviously wanted to get better but the more I learned about it the more I learned that actually now that I have it I, I have it you know I did read about it and that kind of shocked me because I also read as well as it not being something that gets better that it's really rare for somebody under 40 to get it it's like it's already rare I think it's like one in 100,000 in the UK but it's very rare to happen to someone under 40 but at the same time I was speaking to somebody and telling them about you you know coming up as a guest and I mentioned TN she was like my boyfriend has it and I was like so it's rare but you know I know somebody who's with someone that has it. It's, so it's clear that we're just not talking about it. And I think chronic illnesses as a whole, they really just get um, not even tolerated. They're just not really spoken about unless you're part of that community, it seems. Like, 
How was that for you? Like you go from one world to another almost. It was really hard. It was to go from, like I said, a very busy, hectic lifestyle where I was pursuing my dream in London uh, ever since I was about 14, 15 years old living in like the countryside in Italy. My dream was to live and work in London. I was living with my best friend and we, we lived in, we ended up living in two different flats together and making our homes that way. And yeah, overnight I had to, essentially because of this disease, I had to give up on my career and my social life because I, I had to, I had to leave London. Uh, and it took, it's taken a lot of work to get to the place where I'm at now. And mm. that work isn't always pretty, you know, but I also am at a place now where instead of, again, looking to be fixed and for a cure, which is, I hope it happens in my lifetime, but it's very likely that it won't. And that's okay. I'm not saying that every day I'm, this, I, I hate toxic positivity with all my being. <laughs> I'm not saying at all that I'm like, yeah, like, every day feeling this way mm. but I people ask me I you know I don't know how you do it how are you in this pain every day and I'm like dude I have no idea how I do it either and there I'd be lying if I said that I didn't ask myself that question every day but I also am now in a place where I'm like okay I live with the most painful disease every single day but here I am, like, I'm still going. As, as cheesy as that sounds, I... It doesn't you know, sound I... cheesy. It doesn't... <laughs> it, you know what it is? It's hard because, like, I don't want to say... I know how things can sound. You know, it can sound patronizing, you know, saying to someone, like, wow. and But I think it's just this reminder we all take so much for granted. And, you know, what's the worst thing I've been through in my life? Probably lockdown, you know, I found that so hard like I hate being told I can't leave the house that pales into significance into insignificance compared to you waking up in pain and I don't know how I would deal with that I could guess that I'd be miserable to be honest because I'm I think we become spoiled and we want what we want when we want it um but it's hard speaking to someone like you because, yeah, you are going through way more and you're speaking to me now. I didn't know if you were going to feel in okay enough to talk. Um, you know, you've clearly done makeup and hair. You've made this effort. and So I'm just like, what is, what do you tell yourself to like keep, keep going? I'm sure you have duvet days probably more than you know we have do I have duvet days but I'm guessing you have more but what do you say to yourself do you talk to yourself a lot I do <laughs> <laughs> I do I think what I've started to do is quite literally acknowledge that I have come really far because if you'd asked me this question two years ago I, I don't know what I would have answered. Mm. It would not be the same way I'm answering now. I, every day, it, it's, it's been hard work. Like I said, you know, uh, therapy helps me, helps me immensely. I finally started getting therapy when I got sick. I was like, okay, now that I'm basically housebound, I've been wanting to start therapy for years. 
now's the time. And that has been such a gift for myself, but also just everyone else in my life, I think, because I am able to talk about certain things, but also just working on myself, as corny as that sounds. It's, um, it's not easy, but I'm now in a place where I'm like, yeah, I, I live with this and I'm really excited about my future. It looks different. It looks completely different. And I had to do a lot of grieving, mm. you know, before, before getting this disease, I had no idea or notion of what grief really was. And my therapist kept saying, you know, uh, when you're ready, you're going to have to grieve the person you were. And in my head, I was like, no, no, nah. <laughs> like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get better. I'm going to go back to London. Everything's going to be, you know, <laughs> that's not how it works. Mm. And so doing that work of grieving my old life and who I used to be was really hard, but I'm so happy I did it because now, yes, my day to day looks completely different, but that doesn't mean I can't still do what I want to do. I just have to make sure that I do it in a way that corresponds to what I need to be in the least discomfort possible. Mm. Pain is going to be a part of my life forever. Mm. <laughs> so it's finding ways of, it's not me pursuing whatever I want to pursue despite my disability. It's quite literally me learning to live with it because yeah. it very much doesn't define me. I, I had to give up so much because of it. So I guess I tell myself, you're tough, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> you are. Like, when I have days like that, I'm like, wow, I'm really doing this. This is really hard, but it's really important for me to share the fact that you can still have a fulfilling life when you have diseases like this because that's not something you're told when you're diagnosed you're, you, you don't really there's so much about life every facet of your life is affected by this kind of pain mm -hmm. and no one should get a diagnosis and then go Google it and find out within a minute that its nickname is the suicide disease. Like, I remember that moment, my heart just dropped mm. and, and my heart kind of breaks for anyone who uh, has that same experience. Mm. And like, like, like we discussed, it's rare, but a lot of people have it mm. and people know someone who has it, etc. That's really important to me because no one should feel that way. Sadly, a lot of people die by suicide because of this disease for mm. various reasons, but it is incredibly painful. I totally understand why it's called that because the, the pain is, it's the, it's quite literally the worst. <laughs> I saw, on, um, I think in the past, I went through some of your old stories on TNM. Is it Macmillan pain scale? Oh, yeah. And um, maybe yeah. yeah, I think I've got it wrong, but I'll make sure I um get it right for listeners. But um, basically, TN is higher on the scale than a prepared pregnancy and and an unprepared um childbirth. So like, I think there's only one other thing above TN on the scale. So I was just like, it's so hard to comprehend. It really is. It's like I I get annoyed if I stub my toe do you know what I mean that's a momentary thing um but 
it's funny because, you know, you talked just then about grieving for a previous life. So it makes me wonder, even in conversations like this, do you want to talk about your previous life? Or do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, sorry, sorry, I didn't let you finish. No, it's, it's mainly just because, you know, obviously... I talk about beauty so much and how people grow up around it. And um, were you living in Germany and then Italy or were you born in Germany? So I moved around a lot. Um, but I'd love to talk about beauty in, in my, like, growing up, if that's... Because I know you you ask that Yeah, well. I just but... don't... I just want to be conscious of, like, if you have had to go through so much work to kind of say, well, that was that. You know, I'm not trying to, like, bring stuff up to um, affect that process. Well, good. So tell just tell me about young Melissa then, because I can see, you know, we're definitely going to talk more again about sort of skincare and makeup being, like, the ultimate luxury now for you. But if we take it back to the days when you probably took it for granted as something to play with, like, what was who was the first influence on you when you started seeing that beauty was out there? My mom was my first influence, really. Mm. Growing up, especially before we moved to the states, she had a very classic makeup look. It was red lips, uh, blush, uh, a sort of brown, dark eye, mm-hmm. and so I used to just love watching her do her makeup and. She clearly caught on to the fact that I loved makeup from a very young age because I would just, she had a subscription to, I think it was, it was Allure. Mm. And I remember being around, it was early 2000s, um, so nine, ten years old, and just reading it front to back, like almost memorizing all the products used, <laughs> reading the steamy, like, sex bit. <laughs> like, you know, and just like memorizing how they how they described it and just loved watching how they decided to shoot things and I I just loved it and what she would do is she would let me do her makeup pretty often and I look back now and I'm like wow I was 10 years old <laughs> and my mom would say okay uh tonight I have you know I'm I'm going for dinner or or anything whatever event or she was doing and we would sit in her bathroom We'd start probably around like three or four, and I would do her makeup, and then I would do her hair, and I would take her picture, obviously with a, you know, actual camera then, and she fully trusted me and let me practice makeup on her for years, uh, way before I was old enough to, you know, start wearing it myself. Mm-hmm. I had. Uh, already quite a bit of knowledge in terms of applying and because she would teach me she would Mm. show me like how she liked things done and we would you know you remember the 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 really bright pastel line that was you know I remember we were at at Walmart and the the lady at the till had one and we were just like you look amazing (laughs) we went and got so excited to buy this like almost white like you know yeah yeah. I, I, I basically any makeup look I liked in a in an editorial I would try out on my mom and then another thing she would do is when she needed a rest 
Um, but my sister and I were clearly, you know, small kids. She would take an eyeliner, lip liner, and divide her face <laughs> and lie down. And we would both get to do... And she would do that for rest. <laughs> yeah, so she could just get a bit of head eye, you know? Like she would just be like, okay, and wake up with you know, two different makeup looks. So definitely my mom. To be honest, she still is... Uh, still is that person for me Mm. she stopped dyeing her hair five or six years ago and she just has the most gorgeous like silver gray hair people stop her all the time to ask her if it's like done Mm. (laughs) and yeah she always looks amazing she's italian and so sometimes she'll when i'm up in the morning i'll be like oh you know where are you going she's like oh just out with the dog going for a walk i'm like okay (laughs) She makes that, that effort. That is actually really important in terms of um, my life now as mm. well, that making that effort for yourself. Mm. You know, I think obviously we do, we, we, we want to impress others and that's great and that's nothing to be ashamed of. But I think this experience for me and I think also the collective experience of lockdown has also proven how much makeup is really about how it makes yeah yeah I think we've taken it back I get really bored of that whole it's for men and stuff it's like no I had a I had a shit week and I think this week I've done my makeup twice in the house you know that's not for my husband I mean he sees me all different ways and it's not for going to the coffee shop but that's your that is it is purely for you it's a process it's a ritual it calms you down I don't know about you but I like to put music on and just I might put it on Instagram but I I don't have to but this, I love your makeup playlist by the way oh you, thank you. <laughs> you always have great music when you're applying your makeup it's so important to have it is have it's a whole mood I keep thinking I should like I want to do a beauty me playlist actually just to share with people because I think makeup is a mood and it's not always the same mood you know we can have we can feel sad and put your makeup on do you know what I mean it's it's a process Absolutely. I think I spoke to you once and I was like I'm gonna put makeup on today because <laughs> I want to pick me up and seeing people post stuff where they're like oh I'll put my makeup on just to go in the living room and I'm like that is just as valid as putting makeup on to go out Mm. because there's such power I feel at least I I now feel in putting on doing you know whether it's doing skincare but especially with makeup Mm. in taking control of something such as your appearance and making yourself feel good there's nothing but like I feel like I don't know what it is it's probably patriarchy (laughs) where it's like supposed to be something to like being vain or you know taking pride in how you look or loving makeup and all this stuff is seen can be seen as this vacuous thing and it really isn't at all it's such a powerful tool and for me and I know other friends of mine who are chronically ill it's again something we have control over and when we have the energy or you know my pain levels are to a point where I can I try to not touch my face as much as possible Mm. Um, it's an amazing way to feel more in control of, of, of your body because everything else is out of your control. But makeup, you can, makeup and how you dress, it, 
it's in your control and doesn't make you feel sick, you know? <laughs> like, you don't, you know, when it's every single day, you don't need, I know I don't, I talk about this with my friends, you don't need constant reminders of it. And even when I successfully blend my makeup or especially when I do a, an eyeliner flick that I can do the way I used to do before mm -hmm. I got sick because mm -hmm. now I'm really shaky and I drop things more easily. It's such a great moment. I'm like, yes, I've still got it. I'm out of practice, but my eyeliner looks really good even though my hands are shaky. I didn't risk it today because <laughs> I didn't like, have to remove it the all. Clean up, yeah. <laughs> but when when I do successfully do my makeup, it, it's, it's a great moment. And so when I do post a picture of myself in makeup, it's kind of like, it's that time of the month because I, I, I make an effort to do this <laughs> at least once a month yeah. or twice a month, you know. It's something that I didn't used to do because it's a trigger. And so I can understand why people would think, well, why would you go out of your way to apply makeup or do a seven-step skincare routine when you know it's going to cause you pain? And it's very simple. I, I totally understand why people might think that because I used to feel that way too and when I didn't do any of that it was that much harder every single day you know um it's quite simply because I'll be in pain anyway I'm gonna be in pain I might as well find joy in things and mm. feel good about myself the pain's gonna come it's a part of my life forever makeup helps me move forward uh, you know it really does because it reminds me of who I am it, quite literally I'll look in the mirror and I'll be like ah like this you know we keep talking about the person I was before this disease mm. and it's really nice to do makeup I used to do I, I, I tend to stick to the same looks mm. and there's something really unique about looking in the mirror and seeing the person that uh, I remember being before I got my disease and mm. makeup plays a huge role in that it's so easy for society to tell you why you wear makeup you know i've read books beauty myth blah 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 and patriarchy yes it's created a system where we can feel like we have to look a certain way but i loved what you said you whatever is going on outside it is you that makes that decision and it's under your control and it helps you accept where you are. So I just think you just have to be so true to you and forget all the theories and because yeah, you are you're trying to move forward in this life that has kind of landed upon you. You are trying yeah. to move forward and accept. And I feel so many people would want to just constantly chase that person from before. And I I definitely get that whole well, it'll be gone soon and, and when this and when that, but instead you are moving forward in acceptance. Um, I also, I wanted to share with the listeners kind of like how I first found you because um, I follow Elliot Beautyologist. She's amazing. She's amazing. And she created the hashtag 60 second rule. And she'd shared one of your stories one day because you'd said, I think that's when I'd read, you know, Lately, you've been doing your skincare once a week and you talked about why she was so important. 
And that's when I really started to, you know, I followed you and kind of looked into TN. But tell me about that whole aspect of the things that we take for granted morning and night, Monday to Sunday. For you, just tell us why it's like a big, a big deal. Okay. First of all, I have to say, also because we're talking about talking to ourselves, when I woke up and I saw your DMs, I was like, what is my life? I came so close to deleting that story that you saw. I was so close. (laughs) Why? Because because I fell asleep that night and I had that voice saying, people are going to see this and roll their eyes and be like, oh God, not this bitch again, going on about (sighs) disability and sheet masks, you know? (laughs) I was like, oh, there's always this, ever since I started talking about my life with, Mm -hmm. with this, disease or like a lot of people with chronic illnesses it's many but Mm. um there's always a little bit I'd be lying if I said that I felt confident all the time being that vulnerable and sharing this Mm. kind of stuff but I do it because when I got sick there was nothing that there wasn't that much literature out there Mm. like you said the age group that normally has this disease aren't my age Mm. and I just feel like if I can share things that might help someone else that's what motivates me Mm -hmm. so when I saw your DM I was like oh my god I'm so glad I didn't delete that (laughs) I also thought Nye gets a lot of I'm sure she won't see this I didn't even think she would see it because I tagged her because I thought you know I thought anyone else who wants to learn more about her philosophy which Mm. has I do not say this lightly changed my life really yeah, I tagged her because I thought anyone who wants to go follow her can, but I didn't think she would see it. So I'm so glad she saw it and shared it. So obviously that's how we connected. Mm. Um, I first learned about LA Judeologists through Twitter because when I first got sick, I came off of Instagram for at least about a year because it was just too painful Mm. I went you know like we've discussed I went from having a very busy life to being homebound housebound uh often bedbound Mm. and so everyone else was going on about their lives obviously that's how it works uh and it was just this constant reminder of my old life and what I was missing out on in terms of my career in terms of my friendships in terms of music festivals, uh, you know, nights out, all things that I used to do and could no longer do. So I thought I need to come off of here because Mm -hmm. it's it's not helping me. And quite frankly, my depression, because it's obviously very common with diseases like this to Mm -hmm. get depressed. And that just meant I spent more time on Twitter, to be honest. Oh, I feel on Twitter like, oh, it's hard to deal with. I know. (laughs) It's, it can be really like overwhelming, but that's how I found out about LA Judeologist and first the 60 second rule. And then just her, you know, I, I, I followed a kind of, I guess the classic basic Korean steps. Uh, or, sorry, well, it's not really steps. basic though, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not at all. It's not at all. And so when I say I do my skincare once a week, like I really do it because I'm like, I, I, I really make it worth my while. Wow. And 
the the LA beautyologist's method of essentially uh, prioritizing moisture moisturizing yeah. every other step the, yeah yeah it's also special because I don't do it every day so mm. it becomes a bit more of a ritual I guess like makeup because I don't I only do it once or twice a month mm-hmm. and my skin looks amazing the next day <laughs> I, and I and I just think you know she doesn't have to share this wealth of knowledge she has and she mm. does she, she shares so much she answers people's questions she makes these videos that are really top-notch in terms of production but yeah, also yeah. the information she shares for free and she mm-hmm. doesn't have to do that so I want to get one of her oh it's so cute yeah, so yeah, so, so that's how I found out about her was through Twitter. And then I, when I got Instagram back, and my relationship with Instagram really shifted, mm. uh, I started, I was like, why am I not following her on Instagram? <laughs> so <laughs> she, she, I, I basically follow her, her philosophy of skincare, and I love it. Me too. But have you got <laughs> a designated day of the week then? Or is it literally, do you wait and see how you're feeling yeah it's just it's that basically like like everything um you I keep saying you I should say I really because I can't speak for everyone Mm -hmm. but it really just depends day to day how how things go and I will say that having a, a disease like this it has made me really appreciate the smaller things mm. or what I what, like like we were talking about what I took for granted before mm. makeup uh even drinking like I, even oh, drinking, drinking alcohol do you mean oh do you oh, mean drinking no. in uh, general drinking water having you know I I mostly eat soft food mm. I avoid crunchy love crunchy food sometimes <laughs> I, I just do it it's just you can't I've given up so much I'm not gonna give up like (laughs) you know um that's how I feel about crunchy food I was actually on a support group Mm. uh when I first got sick I'm I'm not on any anymore but Mm. because I had all these symptoms that I couldn't I had every time something would happen I had no proof of it in my face so I would search in these groups and be like okay cool like someone else feels this it's it's not in my head Mm. um or any of that and someone wrote someone asked like hey guys like what's something you'd never give up despite you know knowing that it's bad and it's gonna cause you pain Mm. and obviously for me that's definitely skincare and makeup because it it, yeah as I've never gonna happen never gonna (laughs) I tried I tried I did it for a while and it Mm. wasn't fun like I'm never gonna give it up Mm. but Someone wrote, you know, motorcycle, you know, going on my motorcycle because the wind, the, the wind, wind I heard, yeah. And someone wrote, chewing. I'm not giving that up. I'm like, absolutely. I feel that way. Comfort food is so, I've always loved uh, cooking and mm. eating and comfort food. But now I have such a, an even deeper love for it because it brings me so much joy uh, it's such a gift uh, I can give myself and and my um, my family and other people I love. Mm. And throughout my illness, it has just been 
food has just been such a such a, a source of joy really so chewing is another thing I'll never give up this next question when I first started the podcast I always used to say to people when do you feel you're most beautiful and then as the months went on I felt like beautiful it's kind of like a label beautiful kind of infers what other people put on you rather than perhaps how you feel so I changed it but sometimes I think about going back but basically I say all that to say I've changed it to when do you feel most you um and with the conversation that we've had we talk about you know what you've had before and who you are now like when do you feel most Melissa I guess oh I love this question oh this could sound really geeky but I love when I'm at my computer and I'm even just being on my computer I'm like this is me I feel like me obviously uh I love when as we discussed, when I can put on makeup, it reminds me of, of who I am and not necessarily who I used to be. I'm still that person, and mm-hmm. that is very powerful. Um, I've just thought of something about makeup I'd like to add, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to being chronically ill uh, and doing your makeup, like I said, it reminds me of who I was. But there's also this kind of inevitable like dichotomy to, to makeup when you're when you're sick all the time and that's that you don't look sick, right? So it can be used against you. And that's something that I also feel strongly about talking about because a few times, so I only leave the house to go to hospital appointments, so <laughs> I'll make an effort, you know, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm leaving the house, I'll mm-hmm. wear the outfit I want to wear, I'll do my makeup, and then I realize, you know, I'll be going to a hospital appointment, and I don't look sick, and that, it's a very strange thing, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember when I first started noticing my face drooping, because that's what happens um, as the day progresses, like, what progresses more of my uh, face will start drooping mm-hmm. and because the nerves in my they're just also damaged and I remember feeling such relief when I first noticed that because I was like ah here's some concrete proof that this is happening because mm-hmm. if someone looks at me they think I'm fine and, mm-hmm. and people have you know people can say stuff that's really they don't mean they don't mean you know they mean well but there's not there's no way that you can really look sick. Mm. You know, um, I have this conversation with my friends who are also uh, chronically ill, and it's like you don't want it to be used against you, mm. but at the same time, it's such an important part of of feeling uh, in control and feeling mm. the best you can feel in that moment, and using your energy towards doing that is really important. No, I I get that. It's so interesting because if you don't look sick, no one can treat you like you're sick. So there's also that extra element of care that you might not get, um, whether it's someone passing you by. um, Because even through just 
when we arranged to have this chat, I've been reading more about invisible disabilities and that's like a whole other level because if you look fine, you're going to get treated as though you're fine and, and your wants and needs are going to kind of get taken for granted again. But do you want, you don't, I imagine that you don't want to be there saying, hey, I'm sick, you know, pay me attention. You just want to be you. So it's. Yeah, it, it, it is that it's also. It doesn't help because you're like, oh, they're not going to believe me. Oh, they're not. They don't think I'm sick. They don't. So it's it's hard. It's hard from that point of view because you're like, OK, so what am I supposed to do? Just like look as sick as I can like there's no such thing there's no such thing and when you see someone who is disabled you you can't know if someone's disabled essentially unless they tell you or you know them and just because we look you know just because we've been able to put effort into how we look uh it's I'm in you know nine times out of ten I'm in excruciating pain it's invisible and and that's it's it's tough (laughs) It's tough, but I just hope that uh, we keep talking about these things. And that's why this means so much, because when you have, when you receive a diagnosis, you, you're not told about things like obviously makeup and skincare, but that is also a very important part of many people's lives. And I'm just really grateful that you asked me to come on and talk about it, because I hope other, you know, if anyone else listening um, has chronic illnesses or chronic pain like I do, you can still have a fulfilling life just because, you know, films or TV or society or whoever makes you feel like you can't. It's not the case at all. Mm. Uh, And the fact that we're talking about it on a makeup and skincare podcast is is really cool because you hear it talked about in a medical sense and by medical professionals but that the people who know these diseases best are the people who have them so i really appreciate it (laughs) thanks so much for listening you can find me on instagram at beauty me podcast and feel free to slide into the dms do please like subscribe and review it really helps beauty me be seen